Welcome to Worship in the Word with Generations Church of Granbury. You are invited to stay tuned for the next 59 minutes to enjoy some inspiring music from one of Hood County's wonderful congregations, as well as an encouraging message from the Bible. The songs you are about to enjoy are from the Generations Church worship team, led by Pastor Shake Anderson with the Gen Praise Band and on special occasions, some great guest musicians. Later on in the broadcast, you may hear a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, along with some teaching from the Bible with Pastor Alan Meyer or another generation's church leader or special guest. So without any further delay, welcome to Worship in the Word with Generations Church.
You are listening to Worship and the Word with Generations Church of Granbury. Stay tuned for more inspiring music and a message from the Bible.
wide, it's deep, and it's high. The length of God's love begins before time began. From the foundation of the world, he predestined his son to be the lamb slain. And it continues into the ages to come. From the dawn of time into the ages to come. His love is so wide. listening to Worship and the Word with Generations Church of Granbury. Welcome to the real shame-free zone. The world has no remedy for shame. Either they will pile more shame on those who have been shameful in hopes that shame will make them not be shameful. If you're that kind of parent, if part of your punishment is just piling the shame on your kids and making them feel more ashamed and just putting them on probation for three weeks so they're always reminded of their sin, it's not going to help. The world tries it. We do it in all of our prisons. There's even one prison where they make all the men wear pink, trying to make them feel ashamed. And yet it does not prevent shameful things from happening. Sin is just increasing more and more in the world. And then there are some in the world that are declaring certain shameful things are no longer shameful. And they're embracing shameful things as their identity. This is who I am, yes. And trying to shame people who would disagree with them. The Bible declares sin is a shame. But Jesus bore our shame for us. And he frees us. From shame. Have you found Hebrews chapter 12? Let's read the last verse of the previous chapter since we're starting at verse 1. Hebrews 11 is talking about the subject of faith and then the heroes of faith through the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints. They overcame, they suffered, they trusted God in faith. The last two verses, verse 39. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. They were living in the Old Testament times. Jesus became the promise fulfiller for us. He is the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. When Jesus died on the cross, he marked time. In fact, history is marked by it. B.C. and A.D. 
Uh, everything to do with what Christ did on the cross. And he died for all the sins that were committed before he came and all the sins that were committed afterwards. So we're all saved by faith in the promise. And Christ is that promise. Verse 1 of Hebrews 12, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Let's say every weight. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let's all say, lay aside easy sin. Some of us are easily ensnared by certain things and others of us are ensnared by other things. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Just as those in the Old Testament ran with endurance, so we have a purpose to fulfill. We must run with endurance by faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Let's all say despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's all say authority. Verse 3, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Let's all say, consider Jesus. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. In Jesus battle with sin, his blood was shed. In our battle with sin, we don't have to go that far. But there is victory over sin. So I'll say resist sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that you'd speak to our hearts today. Make your word come alive to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the real shame-free zone Part four. Today's topic is living in the shame-free zone. Can we say that together? Having had our sins dealt with and our shame removed, how should we now live? How can we walk in victory so we're not constantly being condemned by shameful things? So I'm going to talk about three things today. Number one, our bearer of shame. Number two, our removal of shame. Number three, our freedom from shame. How to stay free. First of all, our shame bearer, who is Jesus. Our text today read, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Can we say despising? That word despising is kataphroneo in the Greek, which means to despise or to disdain. It means to think little or nothing of. It means to think against or to disesteem. He went through great shame that was placed upon him unjustly so. He was totally humiliated, totally mistreated, had every right in the world to get his feelings hurt at his father and his fellow man. And yet he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
He did not allow the shame to cause him to sin while the ultimate of sins was being committed against him. Through many transgressions, the Bible says in Romans, many are made righteous. Many transgressions were committed against the Son of God. The ultimate of sins happened that day. And God's a great transformer. He took that day and justified whoever will believe. Isn't that awesome? And in doing that, Christ despised the shame. He thought against it. He did not esteem it. I love this painting. I have it in my house. I have it on the screensaver of my phone. To me, it is a masterpiece that our own artist, Kathy Quest, did. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The gold in front of him is the joy. The red behind him is the cross. The shedding of his blood, what he's having to endure. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He did not focus his mind on his humiliation. He was naked on that cross. It was embarrassing. But he put it behind him. He did not esteem it. He did not count it worthy of his attention. He endured for the sake of the joy that was set before him. You and I are that joy. We are his children. We are the fulfillment of his promise. Are you glad about it? And so it is with us, those of us that have shameful past. We must put our faith in this one who died for us and put our shameful past behind us and stop esteeming it, despise it, disdain it. It's over. It's the past. Because if you don't, it will suck you right back in. It'll make you depressed, make you condemned, and tempt you to medicate on something for some relief that will only result in more shame. That's why shaming someone doesn't help. It makes it worse. Isaiah 56, Isaiah prophesies in the position of Jesus. He said, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. This is prophecy of Jesus. He would be slapped. His back would be beaten. His beard would be ripped out. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. To relieve us of shame, He took it upon Himself. He is our substitute. He came down so that we could go up. He came out so that we could go in. He became naked so that we could be clothed. He became sin so that we could become righteous. He became the Son of Man so that we could become the sons of God. Amen. He took it on. He accepted the challenge. They spat in him. He received it. Psalm 69, 19 says, You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before me. This is what he was going through on the cross. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. John and Mary were there. They were crying for themselves. He said, John, behold your mother, and Mom, behold your son. You know, you all comfort each other. He had no one to comfort him. He bore it all. In verse 21, they gave me gall for my food. Before he was hung, they tried to get him to drink gall. And for my thirst, while he's hanging there, they gave him vinegar to drink. And when you're thirsty, vinegar is not the most tasty thing. And the Bible says that he said, I thirst, and they took a sponge with vinegar on it on the end of a stick and stuck it in his mouth. 
I did not realize how disrespectful this was until I saw this video. Pastor Mark Driscoll from Mars Hill Church in Seattle went to the Holy Land, and he discovered this. In public restrooms, there were servants that white people's heinies with sponges on sticks dipped in vinegar. Watch this. He said that some of the poorest slaves realized that there was a potential income stream here. There was a way for them to make money. And so what they would do is they would take a sea sponge on a stick and they would moisten it in the fresh water and then put it into the hole where the person was sitting and scrub them after they went to the bathroom. And that over time they realized that one sponge for hundreds of people caused some to get infections. And so then they would cleanse it with vinegar or sour wine as a disinfectant. And all of a sudden, a part of the Bible made sense. Do you remember the part? Jesus is being crucified. God comes to earth and we murder him. And as he's being crucified, he's preaching. And he just got saying, Father, forgive them. And to shut him up, the Bible says they took a stick and they tried to shove it in his mouth with a sponge on the end. That was the stick. And that was the sponge. Which means that that was the last taste in Jesus' mouth on the cross. That was the last smell in Jesus' nose on the cross. And then Jesus said, with those lips covered in that filth, Father, forgive them. And then they shoved it to his lips. And he says, it is is finished. What is finished? Forgiveness. The atonement of sin. The forgiveness of the atrocity that is your life and mine. And if Jesus could forgive those people in that moment for that act with that taste in his mouth, he could forgive anyone for everything. Amen? I always read that section of Scripture and thought it was nice that they gave Jesus a bit of compassion in his moment of greatest need. And I realized there was no compassion for Jesus. There was no love and respect and appreciation for Jesus. But there was a lot of love and respect and compassion from Jesus. If your young child got in trouble, you might pay his fine, right? Right? Would that be considered legitimate? Should your child be off the hook? That's what Christ did for us. He paid our fine. He accepted our penalty for us. And to go through that much shame for us, for us to not receive it would be a tragedy, right? For us to live life filled with shame for our past, 
is a great tragedy. You know what double jeopardy is? Double jeopardy is not allowed in our courts. It's for a person to be tried twice for the same crime. Once declared innocent, you can't try him again for the same crime. For you to continue beating yourself up for your past is double jeopardy. Christ was beaten for you. He ate for you. For you and me. He did it for us. Receive it. This is what the gospel is. Good news. Good news. Daddy paid the fine so you can go free. We were promised the removal of shame by the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah also said, chapter 53, which is a lengthy discourse on what Jesus would do for us on the cross. That entire chapter is full descriptions of the shameful things he experienced for us. And then the next chapter says, sing, O barren woman. And it's filled with blessings. And the fourth verse begins with these words, Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth. This is true because of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 54 comes to pass. Ours to receive. It was promised and Christ fulfilled it. Isaiah 61, which is an amazing chapter. It states the mission of Jesus, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to preach good news to the poor, to bring deliverance to the captives, a recovering of sight to the blind, to heal the brokenhearted. After about four verses of these wonderful things he was going to do, the result of that begins to be shared. And one of the results of the mission of Jesus is instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Here's what I relate to the word double. Twice blessed. To be in sin is to carry a great debt. And to have that debt forgiven would be awesome, right? If you were a million dollars in debt, that would be a heavy load to carry, right? And if someone came along and paid that debt and you were debt-free, that would be awesome, right? To have a zero balance would be a blessing where they were in the red. Minus a million, now zero balance. What a blessing. That's honor. Double honor is we have been not only forgiven of our indebted past we have been credited with his righteousness amen you know when you make a hundred dollar mistake in your checkbook it becomes a two hundred dollar mistake example let's say you write a check for a hundred dollars and in your check register instead of writing minus a hundred dollars and subtracting by mistake you add it let's say you had five hundred dollars in your account and you write a hundred dollar check that should leave a balance of four hundred but you add it and it says 600, and you're wrong. You actually only have 400. That's a double mistake. Well, thank God Jesus corrected all of our mistakes and gave us a double blessing. Yeah. Double blessing. Promise to remove our shame. Joel chapter 2. Pentecostal churches all love to quote the verse that I'm going to show, but they look over the verses that are preceding. Verse 26. Is this prophecy to God's people? You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. 
I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will dream visions. And all my maidservants and my manservants I will pour out of my Spirit in those days, and they shall all prophesy. But before that outpouring of the Spirit comes a removal of shame. The cross came before Pentecost. Don't skip the cross. Don't skip the cross. Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 11 quotes a prophecy out of the Old Testament where God said, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Jesus is that stumbling stone. Romans chapter 10, the salvation scripture. You want to see this in the book of Acts. It's in Romans chapter 8. The Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And then Philip baptized him. Says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. For you and I to think that we can pay for our shame is an insult to the holiness of God. His holiness, His purity is beyond our understanding. It is so far superior to ours, we look like ants in His sight. And so He sent His perfect Son to pay the perfect price for the imperfect people so that through faith in Him they could be declared perfect in His sight, freed from their shame. This is His promise. What do we do to pay for our shame? We believe in the Son of God. We believe in Him. If this is true, then why do Christians sometimes do shameful things? I'm not going to elaborate anymore on what I shared, but some people do not realize just how far He's removed our sins from us and just how far He's gone to great measures to take shame off of us. And so because there's still a measure of shame on him, they get sucked back into sin. We're not going to talk about that anymore. There's a couple other reasons we'll elaborate. I'm about to show two pictures. I don't want to offend anyone, but I'll just say, if you'll listen to this series, it's online or you can get the CDs of this series. I was very transparent sharing my shameful past. And so what I'm about to show is not to pick on anyone. But these two photos, you saw them in the news years ago, and you've seen them. You just type in these guys' names, and these pictures appear for everybody to see for all time. They are a perfect illustration of the pain of shame. Shame hurts us. It's tormenting. It's tormenting. Can't watch it anymore. Freedom from shame. If Jesus took all our shame upon himself, why do Christians sometimes experience shame? Number one, the lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. If you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, it's time to start doing some learning. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Leaders are readers. It's time to do some reading. It's time to do some learning. It's time... To be teachable. Amen? People are destroyed for lack of knowledge. How to overcome shame causers. 
Number one, we overcome shame by gaining wisdom. Proverbs 3.35 says, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. By humbling ourselves, Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. By controlling our anger, Proverbs 12.16 says, A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man controls shame. People used to mock President George H.W. Bush. Would not be prudent at this juncture. He's one of the wisest men that ever lived in my generation. Prudence is not to be mocked. By being honest, Proverbs 13.5 says, A righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Number five, by being teachable. Proverbs 13.18 says, Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction. But he who regards a rebuke will be honored by listening. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. By honoring our parents, Proverbs 19.26, He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. By being merciful, Proverbs 25.8, Do not go hastily to court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Err on the side of mercy. Slow down in your race for justice, lest you be put to shame. Knowing when to be silent. There's a time to speak and there's a time not to speak. There's certain people to speak to about certain subjects and certain people not to speak to about certain subjects. Proverbs 25, verse 9 and 10 says, Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it exposes your shame and your reputation be ruined. You ever hear these words? Don't tell anybody. I'm going to tell you something. Promise not to tell anybody. You know what happens in that conversation? Both parties are lying. They're telling something they promise not to tell, and the other party's promising not to tell, and he or she's going to tell. And when it all comes out, it can be greatly embarrassing. And finally, disciplining our children. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself or herself brings shame to their mother. Freedom from shame. If Jesus Christ took all our shame upon himself, why do Christians sometimes experience shame? If we do shameful things and we declare ourselves to be believers, shame's going to hit us. He didn't make shameful things no longer shameful. They're still shameful. So what happens? Well, it can happen because of the lack of knowledge and it can happen because of sinful living. We all say sinful living. I'm not talking about stumbling. I'm talking about living in sin. It creates shame. Hebrews 12 again, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility 
from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. If you remember the first verse in Hebrews 12, it says, run with endurance the race that is set before us and lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. We're to beware of those things that would ensnare us. So we're on the home stretch of this sermon today. Four resolutions for resisting sin. We say four resolutions for resisting sin. Number one, I resolve to disarm all potential traps. You ever moved a mousetrap and got bit by it? You ever moved a mousetrap after you disarmed it? There are certain things that we are vulnerable to being trapped. Listen to what Jesus said on this subject. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, this is extreme language, strong words he's using. This is not for us to argue about and to fuss over what he actually meant there to apply. What trips us up, we must deal with. So if you see it, deal with it. The birth of shame happened in the Garden of Eden. If you read the mission of the man, God made the man, put him in the garden to guard it and to keep it. That was his job. What was a snake doing in the garden talking to his wife? He did not keep the garden clear. He did not do his job. And shame came about as a result. What can trip you up? Alcohol is a temptation. We know not to go into a liquor store to buy a Coke, right? right. It's not a temptation to me. I could work at a brewery and never get drunk because I can't stand the stuff. But other things, oh, yeah. I was blessed with an iPhone. What an amazing invention. But my iPhone cannot go directly on the Internet. If I have an app and I discover that it can be circumvented to go on the Internet, I get rid of the app, find some other thing. I had version, which is a great Bible. I got rid of it because you can go on the Internet through version. I have Logos Bible and Blue Letter Bible. You can't surf through it. It's awesome. On my computer, I have a program called Covenant Eyes. Now, I've heard a statistic. I cannot prove it. But I've heard one in six people have a porn problem. If that's true, then some people are going to church. Some may be sitting here right now. I don't want to make anybody feel shame. But the point is, if you know it's a temptation, do something about it. If you don't need a computer, get rid of it. How did people survive for years without it? But if you need one, there's things you can do. And I'll explain what this program is. You pay a fee once a year to this company, and they install, you download and install a program in your computer, and it reports everything that is done on that computer. It does not invade your emails, but it reports everything that is done surfing on the Internet. 
everything, reports it, sends a weekly report to an accountability partner of your choosing. I do this. I couldn't be a pastor if I didn't have this on my computer. I couldn't have a computer. I couldn't be preaching like this because it's a snare to me. Deal with the snares. Deal with them. Deal with you. If you see something's going to cause you to sin, cut it out. Jesus said, even if it's your eyeball, get rid of it. Just get rid of it. You're going to resist sin. You don't have to shed your blood to do it, but you got to do some things to deal with it. Whatever it is. Resolve to disarm all potential traps. Your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Disarm. Resolve to abide in the vine who is Jesus. John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you would desire, and it will be done for you. Have a close relationship with Jesus. Spending time with him is where it's at. If something doesn't draw you closer to Jesus, get rid of it, whatever that something is. Whatever draws you closer to Jesus, allow it to enhance your deal. I resolve to grow in my walk with the Lord. Peter wrote in his second book, chapter 1, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world, through lust. For this very reason, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. If these things are yours and abound, you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Now you can't do all that in a day. It's a walk. It's a walk. We are called to grow, called to be progressive people i resolve to repent of sins and their roots repenting of sins is not just asking for forgiveness but it's turning from the sin if you find yourself continually repenting of the same thing over and over and over you have not gotten to the root of the issue you're repenting of a fruit and not the root and here's a verse that i love so much first john 1 9 if we confess our sins He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What causes us to sin? Our unrighteousness. Maybe when you're angry, you hurt people. So you repent of anger and you constantly get angry, 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 repenting, repenting of anger. It's happening over and over. It's obvious that that anger is a fruit of something else. What's making you angry? Maybe it is fear. Maybe it's a lack of trusting in God. Maybe it's idolatry. You want to be your own man and you don't want to need anyone. 
And when things don't work out that way, you're angry. Whatever it is, the Lord will reveal it to you. Just slow down a little bit while you're repenting and say, okay, God, where did this start? And he'll speak to you. He'll bring to your remembrance some area where it started. Maybe it's an unhealed hurt. Maybe it's a vow you made. I'm never going to do such and such. And then when you have to do it, you get really mad. You know what a vow is? It's a declaration of independence against the Lord. We're to say, as the Lord wills with everything, as the Lord wills, I'm not going to do this or I am going to do that. As the Lord wills. But when I say I will never or I will always, that's idolatry. Repent of that and watch the dominoes fall like a ripple effect. He wants to get to the roots. Let's read this together. The heart of this matter is a matter of the heart. Thank you for tuning in today for Worship and the Word with Generations Church. You may hear our radio broadcast again at the same time and station next week. If you do not have a church congregation to call home and you live near the Granbury area, we would love to invite you to come check us out some Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Our meeting facilities are located at 5718 East Highway 377 on the Fort Worth side of Granbury. And our website is at generationschurch.org. Oh, yeah.